Chapter Nine, Part Two, of *The Lion's Skin* by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Champion. It was at this latter house one evening, three or four days after his meeting with Hortensia in the park, that the chance was afforded him at last of vindicating her honor in a manner that need not add to the scandal that was already abroad nor serve to couple his name with hers unduly and it was lord rotherby himself who afforded him the opportunity the thing fell out in this wise mr carroll was at cards with harry collis and stapleton and major gascoigne in a room above stairs there were at least a dozen others present some also at play others merely lounging of the latter was his grace of wharton he was a slender graceful gentleman whose face if slightly effeminate and markedly dissipated was nevertheless of considerable beauty he was very splendid in a suit of green camlet and silver lace and he wore a flaxen periwig without powder he was awaiting rotherby with whom as he told the company he was for a frolic at drury lane where a ridotto was following the play he spoke as usual in a loud voice that all might hear and his talk was loose and heavily salted as became the talk of a rake of his exalted rank it was chiefly concerned with airing his bitter grievance against mrs girdlebank of the theatre royal of whom he announced himself devilishly enamoured he inveigled against her that she should have the gross vulgarity to love her husband and against her husband that he should have the audacity to play the watchdog over her and bark and growl at the duke's approach a plague on all husbands say i ended the worthy president of the bold bucks nay now but i'm a husband myself gad protested mr sidney who was quite the most delicate mincing man of fashion about town and one of that volatile that hovered about his grace of wharton's heels tis no matter in your case said the duke with that contempt he used towards his followers your wife's too ugly to be looked at and mr sidney's fresh protest was drowned in the roar of laughter that went up to applaud that brutal frankness mr carroll turned to the fop who happened to be standing at his elbow never repine man said he in the company you keep such a wife makes for peace of mind to have that is to have much wharton resumed his railings at the girdle banks and was still at them when rotherby came in last charles the duke hailed him rising another minute and i had gone without you but rotherby scarce looked at him and answered with unwonted shortness his eyes had discovered mr carroll it was the first time he had run against him since that day over a week ago at stretton house and at sight of him now all rotherby's spleen was moved he stood and stared his dark eyes narrowing his cheeks flushing slightly under their tan wharton who had approached him observing his sudden halt his sudden look of concentration asked him shortly what might ail him i have seen someone i did not expect to find in a resort of gentlemen 
said Rotherby, his eyes ever on Mr. Carroll, who, engrossed in his game, was all unconscious of his lordship's advent. Wharton followed the direction of his companion's gaze, and giving now attention himself to Mr. Carroll, he fell to appraising his genteel appearance, negligent of the insinuation in what Rotherby had said. This is death, swore the duke. "'Tis a man of taste, a travelled gentleman by his air. Behold me the grace of that shoulder-knot, Charles, and the set of that most admirable coat. Fifty guineas wouldn't buy his Steinkirk. Who is this beau?' "'I'll present him to your grace,' said Rotherby shortly. He had pretensions at being a beau himself— but his grace, supreme arbiter in such matters, had never yet remarked it. They moved across the room, greetings passing as they went. At their approach, Mr. Carroll looked up. Rotherby made him a leg with an excessive show of deference, arguing irony. "'Tis an unlooked-for pleasure to meet you here, sir,' said he, in a tone that drew the attention of all present no pleasures are so sweet as the unexpected answered mr carroll with casual amiability and since he perceived at once the errand upon which lord rotherby was come to him he went halfway to meet him has your lordship been contracting any marriages of late he inquired the viscount smiled icily you have quick wits sir said he which is as it should be in one who lives by them. Let your lordship be thankful that such is not your own case, returned Mr. Carroll with imperturbable good humor, and sent a titter round the room. A hit, a shrewd hit, pon honor, cried Wharton, tapping his snuff-box. I vow to gad, you're undone, Charles. You'd better play at repartee with Gascoigne there. You're more of a weight your grace cried rotherby suppressing at great cost his passion tis not to be borne that a fellow of this condition should sit among men of quality and with that he swung round and addressed the company in general gentlemen do you know who this fellow is he has the effrontery to take my name and call himself carroll mr carroll looked a moment at his brother in the silence that followed then as in a flash he saw his chance of vindicating mistress winthrop and he seized it and do you know gentlemen who this fellow is he inquired with an air of sly amusement he is nay you shall judge for yourselves you shall hear the story of how we met it is the story of his abduction of a lady whose name need not be mentioned the story of his dastardly attempt to cousin her into a mock marriage mock mock marriage cried the duke and a dozen others with him some in surprise but most in an unbelief that was already faintly tinged with horror which argued ill for my lord rotherby when the story should be told you damned rogue began his lordship and would have flung himself upon carroll but that collis and stapleton and wharton himself put forth hands to stay him by main force 
Others, too, had risen, but Mr. Carroll sat quietly in his chair, idly fingering the cards before him and smiling gently between amusement and irony. He was much mistaken if he did not make Lord Rotherby bitterly regret the initiative he had taken in their quarrel. "'Gently, my lord,' the duke admonished the viscount, this uh, this gentleman has said that which touches your honour he shall say more he shall make good his words or eat them but the matter cannot rest thus it shall not by god swore rotherby purple now it shall not i'll kill him like a dog for what he has said but before i die gentlemen said mr carroll it were well that you should have the full story of that sorry adventure from an eye-witness an eye-witness were you present cried two or three in a breath i desire to lay before you all the story of how we met my lord there and i it is so closely enmeshed with the story of that abduction and mock marriage that the one is scarce to be distinguished from the other rotherby writhed to shake off those who held him will you listen to this fellow he roared he's a spy i tell you a jacobite spy he was beside himself with anger and apprehension and he never paused to weigh the words he uttered it was with him a question of stopping his accuser's mouth with whatever mud came under his hands he has no right here it is not to be borne i know not by what means he has thrust himself among you but that is a knowledge i can afford your lordship came stapleton's steady voice to interrupt the speaker mr carroll is here by my invitation and by mine and gascoigne's here added sir harry collis and i will answer for his quality to any man who doubts it rotherby glared at mr carroll's sponsors struck dumb by this sudden and unexpected refutation of the charge he had levelled wharton who had stepped aside knit his brows and flashed his quizzing-glass through sheer force of habit upon lord rotherby then you'll pardon me harry said he but you'll see i hope that the question is not impertinent that i put it to the end that we may clearly know with whom we have to deal and what consideration to extend him what credit to attach to the communication he is to make us touching my lord here under what circumstances did you become acquainted with mr carroll i have known him these twelve years answered collis promptly so has stapleton so has gascoigne so have a dozen other gentlemen who could be produced and who like ourselves were at oxford with him for myself and stapleton i can say that our acquaintance indeed i should say our friendship with mr carroll has been continuous since then and that we have visited him on several occasions at his estate at maligny in normandy that he habitually inhabits the country of his birth is the reason why mr carroll has not hitherto had the advantage of your grace's acquaintance need i say more to efface the false statement made by my lord rotherby false do you dare give me the lie sir roared rotherby 
but the duke soothed him under his profligate exterior his grace of wharton concealed indeed wasted a deal of shrewdness ability and inherent strength one thing at a time my lord said the president of the bold bucks let us attend to the matter of mr carroll don's and the devil does your grace take sides with him i take no sides but i owe it to myself we all owe it to ourselves that this matter should be cleared rotherby leered at him his lip trembling with anger does the president of the bold bucks pretend to administrate a court of honor he sneered heavily your lordship will gain little by this wharton admonished him so coldly that rotherby belatedly came to some portion of his senses again the duke turned to carroll mr carroll said he sir harry has given you very handsome credentials which would seem to prove you worthy the hospitality of whites you have however permitted yourself certain expressions concerning his lordship here which we cannot allow to remain where you have left them you must retract sir or make them good his gravity and the preciseness of his diction now sorted most oddly with his foppish airs mr carroll closed his snuff-box with a snap a hush fell instantly upon the company which by now was all crowding about the little table at which sat mr carroll and his three friends a footman who entered at the moment to snuff the candles and see what the gentleman might be requiring was dismissed the room when the door had closed mr carroll began to speak one more attempt was made by rotherby to interfere but this attempt was disposed of by wharton who had constituted himself entirely master of the proceedings if you will not allow mr carroll to speak we shall infer that you fear what he may have to say you will compel us to hear him in your absence and i cannot think that you would prefer that my lord my lord fell silent he was breathing heavily and his face was pale his eyes angry beyond words what time mr carroll in amiable musical voice with its precise and at moments slightly foreign enunciation unfolded the shameful story of the affair at the adam and eve at maidstone he told a plain straightforward tale making little attempt to reproduce any of its color giving his audience purely and simply the facts that had taken place he told how he himself had been chosen as a witness when my lord had heard that there was a traveller from france in the house and showed how that slight circumstance had first awakened his suspicions of foul play he provoked some amusement when he dealt with his detection and exposure of the sham parson in the main he was heard with a stern and ominous attention ominous for lord rotherby rakes these men admittedly were with but few exceptions no ordinary tale of gallantry could have shocked them or provoked them to aught but a contemptuous mirth at the expense of the victim male or female they would have thought little the worse of a man for running off with the wife 
say, of one of his acquaintance. They would have thought nothing of his running off with a sister or a daughter, so long as it was not of their own. All these were fair game, and if the husband, father, or brother could not protect the wife, sister, or daughter that was his, the more shame to him. But though they might be fair game, the game had its rules, anomalous as it may seem. These rules Lord Rotherby, if the tale Mr. Carroll told was true, had violated. He had practiced a cheat, the more dastardly because the poor lady who had so narrowly escaped being his victim had neither father nor a brother to avenge her, and in every eye that was upon him Lord Rotherby might have read, had he had the wit to do so, the very sternest condemnation. "'A pretty story, as I have a soul,' was his grace's comment when Mr. Carroll had done. "'A pretty story, my Lord Rotherby. I have a stomach for strong meat myself, but, odds my life, this is too nauseous.' Rotherby glared at him. "'Slife, your grace has grown very nice in a sudden,' he sneered. "'The president of the bold bucks.' the master of the hell-fire club is most oddly squeamish where the diversions of another are concerned diversions said his grace his eyebrows raised until they all but vanished under the golden curls of his peruke diversions ha i observe that you make no attempt to deny the story you admit it then there was a stir in the group, a drawing back from his lordship. He observed it, trembling between chagrin and rage. "'What's here?' he cried, and laughed contemptuously. "'Oh, ah, you'll follow where his grace leads you. You've followed him so long in lewdness that now you'll follow him in conversion. But as for you, sir—' and he swung fiercely upon Carroll. You and your precious story, will you maintain it sword in hand? I can do better, answered Mr. Carroll, if any doubts my word. As how? I can prove it categorically, by witnesses. Well said, Carroll, Stapleton approved him. And if I say that you lie, you and your witnesses, tis you will be liar, said Mr. Carroll. Besides, it's a little late for that, cut in the Duke. Your grace, cried Rotherby, is this affair yours? No, I thank heaven, said his grace, and sat down. Rotherby scowled at the man, who until ten minutes ago had been his friend and boon companion, and there was more of contempt than anger in his eyes. He turned again to Mr. Carroll, who was watching him with a gleam of amusement, that infernally irritating amusement of his, in his grey-green eyes. "'Well,' he demanded foolishly, "'have you not to say?' i had thought returned mr carroll that i had said enough and the duke laughed aloud rotherby's lip was curled ha huh? you don't think now that you may have said too much 
Mr. Carroll stifled a yawn. Do you? he inquired blandly. Aye, by God, too much for a gentleman to leave unpunished. Possibly. But what gentleman is concerned in this? I am, thundered Rotherby. I see. And how do you conceive that you answer the description? Rotherby swore at him with great choice and variety. You shall learn, he promised him. My friends shall wait on you tonight. I wonder who will carry his message, ventured Collis to the ceiling. Rotherby turned on him, fierce as a rat. It is a matter you may discover to your cost, Sir Harry, he snarled. I think, put in his grace very languidly, that you are troubling the harmony that is wont to reign here. His lordship stood still a moment. Then quite suddenly he snatched up a candlestick to hurl at Mr. Carroll. But he had it wrenched from his hands ere he could launch it. He stood a moment, discomfited, glowering upon his brother. My friends shall wait on you tonight, he repeated. You said so before, Mr. Carroll replied wearily. I shall endeavor to make them welcome. His lordship nodded stupidly and strode to the door. His departure was observed in silence. On every face he read his sentence. These men, rakes though they were professedly, would own him no more for their associate, and what these men thought to-night, not a gentleman in town but would be thinking the same to-morrow. He had the stupidity to lay it all to the score of Mr. Carroll, not perceiving that he had brought it upon himself by his own aggressiveness. He paused his hand upon the doorknob, and turned to loose a last shaft at them. "'As for you others that follow your bellwether there,' and he indicated his grace, whose shoulder was towards him, "'this matter ends not here.' And with that general threat he passed out, and that snug room at White's knew him no more. Major Gascoigne was gathering up the cards that had been flung down when first the storm arose. Mr. Carroll bent to assist him, and the last voice Lord Rotherby heard, as he departed, was Mr. Carroll's, and the words it uttered were, "'Come, Ned, the deal is with you.' His lordship swore through his teeth, and went downstairs heavily. End of chapter 9, part 2